Now Moses, chapter 27, verse 1, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you tonight or today, and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you. Therefore it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal, or Eval, if you know in the, how to pronounce it, that B is a V actually, Ebal, you shall set up these stones which I command you today and you shall whitewash or in some ways it could be referred to as a plastering, a plaster-like kind of substance on it there. Uh, whitewash them with lime and there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God and an altar of stones and you shall not use an iron tool on them. Make note of that. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and you shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Now just in the verse of eight verses here, we notice that there's a few things that Moses is finishing his preaching. He's coming to the end of his preaching uh, to the people of Israel. And so there was nothing more to say. He's finally completely exhausted everything we've been reading about of what he's trying to get across to the people before God takes him, his life, and they go into the promised land. And so other than simply encouraging the people to do what God commanded, it isn't enough for Israel to be just hearers of the word, but he's telling you you must be the doers of the word. You have to listen to what God is telling me to tell you, and then you now need to hear it, but then apply it, and you need to follow through with it and do it. That is how it was then. It's still how it is today. We must not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. And it's so important uh, that what uh, God is very consistent here. And so he says here, when Israel came into the promised land, they were to build a special altar. And it's interesting because it was supposed to be made of natural stone and no iron tool used to carve the stones. They were supposed to be whole stones. They were to pile them up into, and create these altars. And on them, they're to write <laughs> they didn't have a fine pen, pen fine tip pen. <laughs> they had to write and, and, and get that into this plaster, this, this white wash, natural stone. Why no iron? Well, remember, during about that time frame, the Israelites didn't have iron. Their surrounding uh, enemies and, and the world had iron by that time, but they did not. Remember, they didn't, they didn't haul a bunch of iron from Egypt across the desert and going in there. So they didn't have these tools. So why did he warn them not to use tools? Because God says, I get all the credit. You're not going to go to the world and use their tools to get credit of what I'm asking you to do. That's not how it works. And you're not going to get entwine and bring them into this. This is me and you, the nation of Israel. Me and you. This is my people. You're going to the promised land. You're going to set a special altar up for me where you're going to have a feast. There's going to be a, a, a sacrifices. You're going to be doing this all between me and you. And you're not going to touch the things of the world when it comes to doing what I'm asking you to do. That was very important that God put that across to them. So this very special altar was clearly used for the sacrifice because it says right here, you shall offer peace offerings. But it was also to be a memorial for the law of Moses and his great sermon to Israel, which is the book of Deuteronomy. 
Now, how do you write all of these, the whole book of Deuteronomy on this? So, you know, some people think it was everything, and some think it was just probably contained the Ten Commandments, and that was what was written on it. Either way, it was the law of the land, a law of God, and that was to be written on there for them to be as a memorial to remind the people on that altar. Now, these stones were set up about 35 miles north of Jerusalem at the base of the city of Shechem. And it was at Shechem that, if you remember, that the Lord first appeared to Abraham. And there Abraham built his first altar to the Lord. If you remember that in Genesis chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. And the choice of that location was not by accident. It was personally personally selected by God to bring a very clear, clear message. I started a promise to bring you in this promised land through Abraham. And he built an altar at this city, at this location, at this time. And I have faithfully brought you through hundreds of years. And now I've brought you right back to the right place, to right where I had. The promise of Abraham is now fulfilled by me bringing you into this promised land. God is so incredible. Do you think those Abraham and all of his descendants ever thought they were actually going to go back at a time where they'll be going right back to where Father Abraham was? They built another altar and to worship God right there? I don't think so. But God knew. God knew exactly the full circle he would bring the entire people back over. God is so faithful. God is faithful. And these are not, this is a promise that had to take hundreds of years to be fulfilled. But he was faithful. And these altars would be there, and they would put them on there, and they were going to put this, this, this whitewash on it. And it reminds us that God's word is presented, and it must be presented very plainly, very simply, written there as an understanding and right in front of them so the people would not forget his word. And every preacher, every teacher of the word of God, even today, has to simply teach the word simply and make it clear and under, make sure that p- the people understand the importance of the word of God. They understood, not only was the word of God from God, but it was supposed to be simple for the people to understand, but it also had to be clear and understanding that it was an importance and it was a memorial for them to make sure they knew not to forget God's word. And so we too today, We must understand, we must simply read the word, simply understand the word, and to make sure you understand the importance of the word of God. That's why we lift his word here at Calvary Chapel. This is why our importance, they say, what is your ministry all about? The word of God. Why do you go through verse by verse, chapter by chapter? Because of this word, it's the importance of the word of God. Why don't you go into all these things theologian and doctrinal things constantly every day and in the Greek and the Latin. Because I simply teach the word so that the people will understand. Where do I get that from? From the word of God. So as we take a look at this, it's so clear even back then. This is God's intent. And then we see in verse 9 and 10, it says, Then Moses and the priests, Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen. O Israel, this day you have become the people to the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. So again, right here, Moses, now the priests, the Levites, who are responsible for the the spiritual leadership of the people, much of the book of Deuteronomy is written after the same pattern as the agreements that we see between kings and their subjects. The, it's, the, 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 the communication from the king was simple, it was clear, it was posted, it was, they knew, understood what they were to do, and the people, had, the subjects of that kingdom had to listen and expect and to do. It was not something you got, oh, what is the king saying today? I don't care, don't matter to me. Let's go and have another cup of coffee because I don't care about what's going on with king. No, no, you took notice when the king put out something. Because you had the expectation you would follow through and do it. And if the Lord is your king, then it is fitting that we obey him this way. 
Moses and all the leadership of Israel simply declared a fact that was obvious to everyone, and everyone knew the expectation of God. Do you know the expectation of God? How do you know what the expectation of God? That's why we read the word of God. Because that sets our expectations. What's that expectation? To be holy. To live holy. To be faithful. To live faithful. Do we not want to be in the presence of God and he says, well done and good and faithful servant? Do you not want to hear those words? Then we too must take heed and listen to what God's word says and to follow through and observe. That means to do what the word of God says. Then we see here in verses 11 through 13, we see the command to announce the curses from uh, Mount Ebal. We see here the divisions of the tribes, and it's interesting. A lot of people don't see this or have seen this before, but look what happens here. And Moses commanded the people on the same day, saying, this, These shall stand on Mount uh, Gerizim to bless the people. When you have crossed over the Jordan, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, Benjamin, you're going to be over there on this mount, this mount uh, uh, Gerizim, 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 and that's you're going to stand there. And then over here, this other group, oh, and it's going to be over at Mount Ebal. You're going to there's going to be a curse that is going to be pronounced by the tribes of Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and and uh, uh, um, drawing a blank here. Naphtali. And so when we take a look at this, we see the very first when the Israel came into the promised land, they were to create and they're going to separate these tribes to go one on one mountain, one on the other one. One was the Mount Gerizim, which was the blessing. One on Mount Ebal, which was going to be where the cursings or the curses will be announced. But as you take a look at those um, names there, who was going to be on uh, Gerizim, we can see Simeon, Levi, Judah, Ishakar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Now, if you know that, what those names are, those were all the wives of Jacob's. Those are Jacob's wives, uh, or descendants, I should say, from the two wives of Rachel and Leah. So Rachel and Leah had the, the, the uh, descendants. They're the ones represented over here on the Mount of the Blessing. Then of the other six, four tribes on Mount Ebal descended from Jacob's concubines, Bilahah and Zilpah. So they too had four of them representing on the other mountain, Mount Ebal, which was presenting the cursings. Then we had um, the other two tribes on Mount Ebal was, were from Reuben, which is Jacob's firstborn, who forfeited his, uh, his birthright through because he had incest. We see that in Genesis 35 and 49. And then the last one was Zebulun, Zebulun which is Leah's youngest son. That was the final of the six tribes of, on the Mount of Ebal. So think about this dramatic scene here was filled. Where do you go back and see more details on the fulfillment of this? Is Joshua chapter 8, verses 32 through 35. And it was in that Joshua's time, it happened after a very bitter defeat, if you go back and read it, and a dramatic repentance had to happen to the people, and a recovery at Ai, we see that in Joshua chapters 7 and 8. And when they finally got the victory in Ai, because of that repentance and that change, Joshua wanted to do everything he could do to walk in obedience because he understood they were not walking in obedience and there was a curse. They were not winning. And then when they repented, then God brought, came in and gave them victory. So he, Joshua wanted to live this obedient life and he led the nation in obedience in the commandment that we see here, uh, spoken of here in chapter 27 of Deuteronomy. In this, Joshua showing himself to be the man of the book is a reference to him. Israel of the people of the book, they would order their lives after God's word. 
They, or, they ordered their life after God's word. Everything was defined by God's word. Everything, decisions and things they would do, it were really testing, say, from God's word before they made that decision. And this was done even at some cost and inconvenience because the distance between Ai and Ebal and Jerusalem was not some small distance where they had to, to, to move to do this. And that was like 20 to 25 miles they had to move all the tribes, all of the of tribes of Israel to be able to fulfill that. Now the rest of this chapter and in chapter 28 verses 15 through 68 speaks of all those curses uh, that were going to be declared on the Mount of Ebal. Now the question is, as we go through this, one of the things you will notice as we read this is that there's not a listing of all the blessings, only the listing of the curses. And not Everyone's real clear why there's no blessings, but I kind of kind of summarize the fact that the absence of the listing of blessings was simply meaning that it was a correspondence of the opposite of what the curses were. So when you learn about what the curses are, you know the blessing comes by doing the opposite of those. So there was no reason to, to, to print off what's the blessings. The warning is to bring change in someone is when they realize there's consequences when you do not live for God. So I kind of lean to the fact that they just want to, there's no need to mention all the blessings because the blessings would come if they were obedient to all the other things that they were cursed by because they were disobedient. So this, this Mount Gerizim, this small, this, this, this small moment here in, in Mount Ebal, it was this open air audience participation and sermon that was taking place. And you're sitting here and at some point the ones on the Mount of Gerizim, which is the blessings, are reciting the blessings. And then on Ebal, these other six tribes are reciting all the curses. But if you study the scripture, who was in the middle of these, between these two mountains? Because they were close enough. If you know the geographic of Israel, you know these are two, these mounts are close. Who was sitting in the, in the, in the middle of that valley? But the Levite priests with the Ark of the Covenant in the middle representing. It's an amazing picture once you study this in, uh, in detail. But you'll go back and end Joshua 8.33 regarding the Levi priests and the ark. But all of this was done according to God's plan. The blessings were sated and then the curses. Here in verses 20, 14 through 26, we'll see the curses. It says, The Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Curse is the one who makes a carved or mold, molded image. Notice these the connection to the Ten Commandments as you go through this. And it's an abomination to the Lord and the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and it sets it up in secret, and all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Now remember, the word Amen is a declaration meaning, so be it. As they read a curse, the entire nation of Israel, so be it. We're in agreement, this is the consequence, if we're not obedient. When we're disobedient, this is a curse, so be it. If we're obedient, this is the blessing, so be it. But notice as we go through here how many times we see curse and, and amen here. So, cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt, and all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmarks. Remember that, studying that early on. And all the people shall say, amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road taking advantage of people in, in, in that condition, and all the people say, shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to do the stranger and the fatherless and the widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister and the daughter of his father or the daughter of his mother, and all of the people shall say, 
Amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his mother's mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his, neighbors, his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law. Notice that. Cursed is the one who does not confirm all, all the words of this law, and all the people shall say, Amen. So when we take a look at these verses, this would make a, a remarkable impression of what was going on when you have all of the entire tribe of Israel hearing this and the tribes quoting it and the people hearing it and the all entire nation all at one time. Amen. Woo! Can you imagine the sound and that would reverberate into that valley? But the Levites declared curses upon those who break the covenant, and people answered amen in all these declarations. And it is good to remind ourselves that the word amen really does mean so be it. It's not something, some religious thing and some ritual and something you just just say because you're supposed to, it's the period at the end of the prayer. That's not what it means. When you say amen after someone's been praying, amen, you're saying, so be it. You're in agreement with what the person is saying. You don't say it because everyone just says it. And you could see and follow right along there. There was curses if you were an adulterer. You were cursed if you dishonored your parents. You were cursed if you steal. You were cursed if you just simply were cruel to others. You were cursed if one perverted the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, the widow, those who, were, who were, couldn't defend themselves. Cursed upon those who disobeyed God's sexual standards, including incest, including bestiality in those days that was taking place. That, that person would be cursed. Curse was upon the violent those who would, would it secretly would violently would attack someone that was going to be a curse curse upon those who cheats the courts that was going to be curse and it said finally at the very end and I read it again it says cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law finally if one believes they have escaped all of these curses I didn't do any of those at the very end he had a nice and all other <laughs> you ever see a contract? No, 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 and all other not stated. You know, it's just a catch-all phrase. That's the same thing here. There was a curse pronounced to the one who does not conform to all the words of this law. Why? Because God knows the nature of people trying to always play with words. Are you sure God said you couldn't eat of that tree? Are you sure Doubts, question marks, everything it can do to walk away from God's word and to slight it. Be very careful. Even if someone, uh, somehow we have escaped all the previous curses, none can conform to all the words of this law. They are held accountable. And when all are found guilty before the law, it is clear they could not conform to the laws, the words of this law. There was still hope, though. A clue to this hope is found in the beginning of the chapter when we studied that, where God declared an altar to be built. Don't forget the very beginning of this chapter, that the altar could be built. Upon, not upon Mount Gerizim, not on the Mount of Blessing, not on the Mount of Ebal, on the Mount of Cursing. We need the covering and atoning sacrifice exactly at the point where our sin and failures are revealed and God's curse is pronounced on our sin. And that is in the, right in the valley at the altar. It's important. That we too recognize that in Jesus Christ we do not have the old covenant relationship with God. We expect to be blessed, not because of our obedience, but because of our position in Jesus. 
That is how we're blessed, by our position in Jesus. The curse we deserve was laid upon him. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. Though there may be an inherent curse on consequences in our disobedience, or even the correcting hand of God under the new covenant, he does not punish. He does not punish us or curse us, because all that we deserved... Past, present, future was poured upon Jesus on that cross. How many times when you're just learning and growing as a new believer, oh, I really messed up, I'm going to get cursed, God's going to curse me on this. Not as a child of God. That was paid fully. The propitiation, the full payment was paid on the cross. You might be corrected as a child of God. You may be redirected by the, by the hand of God. However he does that, it is not a curse. It's a correction. It's a conviction. So that we get our attention to come back to our Heavenly Father. Why? Because our Savior took that curse. Now, in verse 28, or chapter 28, we're going to see here the blessings on obedience in the first part, and then we'll see the curses on disobedience. And it gets very specific. We will not read all of it for tonight, but I'm going to highlight it and classify and group it so you could take notes and you can go back for your reading pleasure all the details. In chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, it says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all his commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you, because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Notice that. In just those two verses, is so important if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord, that you're listening in diligently, it's not just a one-time deal. It's not once a week. It's diligently, daily. You're just listening to the voice of the Lord. And to observe carefully his commandments, observe his word of what he's asking you to do or not do. For that day, notice it, which I command you today. It's a daily walk. And when that happens, on that day, the Lord will lift you up above these things that are, are just kinds of highs and lows. He lifts you above these things. He sets you above, high above all nations of the earth. Because what was happening is all these nations were coming against them. When we live this life as a Christian, people will come against you as non-believers. They'll come against you as a believer. But daily, if you just stay and listen to the voice of God and stay and be obedient to the word of God, he's, he's, the, he's going to empower you by the Holy Spirit that is within you and lift you above these enemies that will come against you. No weapon will be formed against you that will prosper. But that's the promise of God that the blessing shall come upon you and overtake you. I love those words. It will overtake you like a flowing of water just refreshing over your life. Because you obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now the word if looms largely in that verse, verse first verse of 28. And it says this chapter, Moses exhorted the nation with the word choice. The covenant God made with Israel contained three major features. The covenant that God gave them had three major features. What were those features? The law, the sacrifice, and the choice. The law the sacrifice, and the choice. These were the three major features. The idea behind the choice is that God was determined to reveal himself to the world through who? Through Israel. And he would do this either by making them so blessed 
that the world would say the only way those people are so blessed is because they have a God that's blessed them. They get no credit. We know those people. But they would know God blessed them so. Or by making them so cursed that only God could have cursed them and caused them still to survive. The choice was up to Israel. Would they obey and be blessed? Or would they disobey God's word and be cursed? So when you look at this from a literally a literary form uh, in this chapter, similar to ancient, again, the king and his people. The, God is our king, and the people are of the subject of the king, and that's us, the covenant of his people, Israel. If you listen and obey what our high king, perfect king says, there's blessing. You go against king, there's consequences. So when he says here that the Lord your God will set you above all the nations of Israel, that's exactly what he meant. I would literally will lift you up and bless you and provide for you and care for you and give you the power to live a beautiful life that represents him and that God would get all the glory. Now in verses 3 through 14, God richly blessed Israel's obedience to the covenant. Blessed shall you be in the city, blessed shall you be in the country, blessed shall you be in the fruit of your body, in the produce of, your, of the ground, in the increases of your herds, in the increase of your cattle, and the offsprings of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your uh, kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your stone houses and in all to which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you and the Lord will grant you plenty of goods and the fruit of your body and in the increases of your livestock and the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you and the Lord will open to you his great treasures the heavens to give the rain to your land in its seasons and to bless all the work of your hand you shall lend to many nations notice that you will lend to many nations it's not all about you you're actually going to be used by God to show kindness to other nations notice that but you shall not borrow and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail and you shall be a be above only and not beneath, if you heed the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them, so you shall not turn aside from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods to serve them. So we see here, blessed shall you be. An obedient Israel would be blessed everywhere. Not in just one little place, but everywhere. Every aspect of their life, there will be blessing. In the city, in the country, it doesn't matter where God takes you, where he has you. He is going to bless you, he says to his people, because they're being obedient. When you come and you go, when you're, it doesn't matter if you were in what place, in your homes, your farms, your kitchens, it, your body will be blessed, the fruit of the body, your children, every aspect, even war. He says the Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself. He says even time, times of war he's going to lift you up and free, flee. There are people just going to flee from you, but he's also going to perhaps be a blessing had to through you to those people that may come against you. Because you have so plentiful, you're able to give to others in times of need to show God's kindness through your actions. Why can they do that? Because God has blessed them. 
and that God's purpose in blessing Israel was greater than any enriching the nation for its own sake. It wasn't for its own sake. He intended to glorify himself through blessing them and to others. And they became a bright light to the world. What example do we see in the scripture of that blessing that others took notice? We see it in 1 Kings chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. When Israel walked after the Lord, because there was a season where they did, and blessings were real and they were being poured out on Israel, the queen of Sheba was heard from so far away of the blessing and the wisdom and everything that God was doing. She had to come down herself and see what um, Solomon and the nation were so blessed and she was blown away. It was better than she even heard or could imagine. Now what happens when you're disobedient? Well, we see the introduction to the curses here in verses 15, but it shall come to pass if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and statutes, which I command you today, that all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Not only will, if you are obedient, his blessings will overcome you in every aspect of your life. The opposite of that, if you're disobedient to God's word, there was going to be an overflowing of curses that would come in every aspect of your life. It wasn't, maybe it was going to be the case. The covenant aspect of the choice they made was a sword with two edges. Obedience would carry great blessing. Disobedience would carry terrible curses upon them and the nation of Israel. Verses 16 through uh, 68 of chapter 28, verse 16, you're going to see, Cursed shall you be in the city, cursed shall you be in the country, cursed shall you be, be your basket and your kneading bowl, which is your home, your taking livelihood. Cursed shall be the fruit of your body and the produce of your land, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flocks. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. So we see, again, the opposite of what we saw under the blessings. In, in verse 20, we see this section is all about destruction. The Lord will send on you cursing confusion and rebuke in all that you set your hand to do until you are destroyed or until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in which you have forsaken me. So God would bring about a divine confusion in their lives. Nothing seems to be clear. Everything seems confusing. I don't know what to do next. And there's just, there's just there's no clarity of what to do next. And when there's confusion, there's usually paralysis. Paralysis means I can't make a decisions. I can't do anything. Can't go anywhere. There's just a sense because the fact that there's going to be a destruction because they were not obedient to the word of God. There'll be destruction. Verses 21 to 22, that section's all about diseases. There's going to be plagues that are going to come across the land. God's going to scorch and mildew and all kinds of burning fevers and inflammations. You name it. It's going to come down in the form of diseases as a curse. Verses 23 through 24 is drought. Heavens will not open up. No rain. Blessings, rain comes. Here, it's going to be so bronze. We would call it, you just see how brown the grass is out there? We're in a drought. They call it, it's bronze. I think I'm going to change my language. Next year, if it gets dark, I'm going to say, hey, do you see how bronze it is out there? Because that's what scripture says. But the earth is not going to open up and give rain to or, or, or heavens and bring rain. It's going to come to powder, to dust. Verses 25 through 26, they're going to have a curse called defeat in battle. Anytime the enemy comes with them, they're not going to win. Every time the giants are coming after them, they're not going to win. They're going to be defeated after one, after another, another. At the very end, in verse 26, your carcasses shall be food to the birds and beasts to the, uh, and to the beasts of the earth, and no one shall uh, frighten them away. You're going to lose the battles in your life. We see in verses 27 through 29, 
we see here clearly physical and mental diseases of Egypt are now going to be placed on them. I think that's fascinating to me. Because the Lord will strike them with the boils of Egypt, with tumors and scabs. He's going to say, do you see what Egypt did? And you, I freed you from that. Took you away from that. And now you're going to go against me and be disobedient. You're going to face the consequences like your enemies. And it's going to hurt. Notice that. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. That is what they experienced in that nation of Israel for being disobedient. They've gone mad. That means there's mental illness, as we would call it. Mental challenges in people's minds when you walk away in disobedience to the word of God, he said. Even blindness and confusion of heart. Verses 30 through 35 is oppressed and robbed. You could have a wife. I'm betrothed to a wife. I'm going to be marrying a wife. This is going to be great. But another man's going to lie with her. I built this place. Look at how it's going to be a great place to live in. Someone else is going to live in the house. Oh, I built this. No, someone's going to have it. Everything you touch, it will be turned over to someone else. At the very end there, that last verse 35 there, the Lord will strike you in the knees and on the legs with severe boils which cannot be healed. Even the sole of your feet and the top of your head, every aspect of your physical and mental status will be affected when you go against the word of God. Verses 36 and 37, there's going to be exile. The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you. Guess what? They're going to come get you, and they're going to take you away to foreign lands, places where you never wanted to go. 38 through 44, the crops will be a failure. Economic ruin is going to come across this nation of Israel. You're going to sit there and put out the seed in the fields. Nothing's going to happen. Locusts are going to come and take it all. Everything, your, your, your vines, your grapes, worms are just going to eat it. Everything you're creating for the oil, you're not even going to be able to use the oil because you're not going to get the oil out of the olives. And notice at the very end there in the last couple of verses, and you shall go down lower and lower and lower. You can visualize the spiraling down in their life and it will be total economic ruin. Verses 45 and 48. What's the reason for the curse? This is where there's a shift there. Notice here, moreover, all these curses shall come upon you and pursue you and overtake you. Did you hear that? You can't avoid the curses that will come upon you, God says, through Moses. You, until you are destroyed because you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and statutes which he commanded you. The yoke on you it will be so heavy you will try to run you will not be able to hide you can try and be passive aggressive and avoid it's still going to come upon you and that's the reason why you're being cursed because you have not obeyed the voice of the lord your god so they knew why why is god doing this to me why is that happening they can't they can't say that it was as clear as can be why. Blessing or cursing? What are you experiencing? Moses, like, Moses is saying, what are you experiencing? It's your choice. Here's the law. Here's what God's truth says. There's a sacrifice that must take place, and you have a choice. If you're blessed, you know it's of God. If you're cursed, you know it's, you've not, not, something's not right. Verses 49 through 57, we're going to see the horrors of the besieged cities. The Lord will bring nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagles flies. The nations whose language you do not understand and the nations of fierce countenance, which does not respect the elderly nor show favor to the young. And they shall eat the increase of your livestock and the produce of your land. 
It goes on and on. You all know this if you've done any study of the history and continue to look at the scriptures of when these nations came in and how they absolutely decimated and besieged the cities and the people of Israel ended up finding themselves so starved and so dying that they were willing to eat each other. They actually turned, we see in this, those verses, they actually were turning against. The one that says here, the, the sensitive and ref, very refined man among you will be hostile toward his brother, toward the wife of his bosom, and toward the rest of his children whom he leaves behind, so that he will not give any of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat, because he has nothing left in siege and desperate straits in which your enemies shall distress you and all your gates." You see at the very end there, even the woman who had a baby in the placenta comes out, she will protect it and she will eat them secretly for the lack of everything that she has. There's nothing left. It'll be so desperate within those besieged cities. We also see in verses 58 through 68 the destruction of the nation with diseases and exile. So if you do not carefully observe all the words of the law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Then the Lord will bring upon you and your descendants extraordinary plagues and great prolonged plagues and serious prolonged sicknesses. And it goes on and on and on through that whole section all the way very to very verse 68. And at the very end there, and the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships by the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. So that's an interesting verse I'll highlight there. So in those verses 58 through 68, 58 through 68, it doesn't matter if you, what city you run to, it's not going to help you. What country you run to won't help you. When you come in, when you go out, when a disobedient Israel would be cursed everywhere. You cannot escape it when you go against God. How many times even today, you want to be disobedient and go against, as a child of God, go against the word of God. Many people will run when they're in disobedience. They will run, thinking they can go somewhere else, start a new life, no one will know them, and everything will be fine, and you can put your facade on and act like you're a good Christian and always perfect little Christian, and you go to the next one. You think you can escape, you can't escape it. A disobedient child of God, you can't escape God. He's going to correct you, he's going to chasten you, he's going to convict you. You cannot run. He's telling them you cannot escape. The fruit of your body, the produce of your land, the increases of your herds. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading bowl. All of that. It doesn't matter what your farm looks like, your kitchen looks like, your homes look like. You can do what all you think and you're a, a little prepper and you have it all perfect. And no one's going to care. When you're disobedient against God, he's saying to them, none of that's going to help you when the, the enemy comes and gets you. Not going to help you. Plagues are going to come across the boils of Egypt. It goes on and on of the destruction because of their disobedience, because a disobedient Israel would be cursed by simply terrible injustice and tragedies. For all these tragedies would bring a terrible result. You shall be driven mad because of the sight of which your eyes have seen. Now, when I say this, is that when they're attacked and the enemy's coming after them and the disobedience and God's allowing that to happen in their lives is for them to come to repentance and change. That's why God allows it in them. It's for them to change. That they would change their ways. But they didn't. Even with all these warnings, with all these things that God laid out, it was on the stones themselves, the, the, the commandments, the law. Taught over and over and over, recited over and over and over. Generation by generation, and they would just continue to refuse to follow God's word. 
got so desperate as we read in 2 Kings 6, verses 24 through 30, and Lamentations chapter 4, 1 through 11. Go back and read how horrible. You know it's horrible when two women are fighting over who will eat their children. And he also said, the Lord will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other. And that's exactly what happened. All because of disobedience of Israel. And all of this was not fulfilled in just the Old Testament, make note. But most of it was declared in the Old Testament. It wasn't fulfilled until the New Testament. And even after the New Testament time. How do we know that? Well, we know the example is in 68 AD, the Romans finally had enough of the rebellious Jews in their providence of Judea. And so they laid siege on Jerusalem. And at the time, the Jewish fervently expected the coming of the Messiah. They were so positive that the Messiah was coming to save them and conquer the Romans. That's their perception. Messiah's coming just to be the king of kings, lord of lords, and going to wipe out this enemy that's coming against us. But we see in Zechariah 12, 1 through 9, the siege came and took over Jerusalem. And sadly, the Jews of that time refused to fulfill or to, to sadly, the Jews had that time, actually was just really going, go back to Zechariah 12, 10, which described their humble repentance embrace of this, of the impurest, Messiah of, of if they would fulfill it and to change and to, to grasp a hold of the truth of who God is. Now, I'll summarize here because for 15 minutes over, but one of the things I, I, I love is when you study history and you go back and you can look at some additional things of what took place in Rome and, and how they conquered Israel and all the wars that go on. It goes, especially the historian Josephus, a great, great book if you do not have that. But we notice that at that time of siege, if you remember in Luke 21, verses 20 through 24, that in the scripture, we say the words from Jesus talked about Christians in Jerusalem, that they needed to heed his words and that this, a time would come when they would be surrounded by armies and the days of vengeance would, would be at hand. They listened to it and they left. Many Christians left Jerusalem and seeked safety away from the siege in Jerusalem because they listened to the word of God. There's so much more I could probably go over, but we will not uh, continue tonight. But I certainly encourage you to continue in the studies of your favorite book, Lamentations. I really do encourage you to do that. I'm sure it's your number one book you read every year. <laughs>